morning. How's everybody doing? Y'all good out there? Come on, smile at me. Pearly Whites. Anyway, get your worship guides out, and we're going to get right into our uh, series uh, final. This is the final countdown. Uh, just seeing if anybody... How many got an organ going? Da, 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 da. Anybody 80s? 80s lovers out there? Raise your hand. All right. You're the spiritual ones. Everybody else? You need to get into growth track. Uh, help you out. Anyway, get, uh, get your worship guide out. and You can follow along and take notes with me. If you're not uh, taking notes, you should because the uh, pen and paper, remember what the mind forgets. So I really encourage you guys to do that. And your Bibles, you can follow along either on version as well. We have that all there for you. I believe our Wi-Fi covers the whole building now and there's no limit, so everybody can plug in, bring your iPads. Isn't that great, by the way? Please be praying for us. We've been in an IT overhaul, and so it's been kind of crazy around here. So pretty soon we'll be ahead of the curve. Can you imagine a church ahead of the curve? This should be better amen than that. That's good. Ahead of the curve. You guys probably don't know what that really means, but most churches are way behind the time. So it's nice to say we're actually a little bit ahead in something. Praise Jesus. All right, well, we're in the second installment of our series final, and we are uh, we're going to talk about the progressive, I like to call it the progressive dinner today. And I just want to welcome all of you guys. By the way, you know, Vanessa was talking about C101. We, we do more than explain, you know, why we're all crazy in here, all cray craze. We, uh, we talk about our, you know, our, our, our foundations for our faith, some of our kind of uh, theological essentials. We talk about kind of our purposes, you know, why we exist as a church, what we're up to, how do we accomplish that. Talk a little bit about government. Sometimes people want to know what about this non-denominational, interdenominational thing, like who's Pastor D accountable to uh, besides Jesus and Stacy. Uh, what? No. Uh, I'm the head. She's the neck. She turns me every place I need to go. Uh, and so we talk about all that kind of stuff there at, uh, at 101. And so it's really good for you to be there. At, uh, we talk about the importance of a spiritual family that often will outlast and outperform your biological family. Because I don't know about you, but all of us come from dysfunctional families. Nobody wants to admit that? Okay. I don't know, there's, always, there's always somebody crazy in your family. Right? Raise your hand if there's somebody crazy in your family. Okay. If you're not raising your hand, you know who you are, right? <laughs> you're the crazy one. Okay, so we just identified all of them. Ushers, could you please see them out? Uh, all right, I got to get into this message. So listen, what we're basically doing is this whole series as we lead up to Easter is dedicated uh, to, it's the final week of Jesus' life. But what's interesting is that in the final week of it, Jesus' life, these final messages often have, um, I would just say, a new level of importance. I don't know, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I read the black and then other times when I read the red letter edition, it's like, okay, I pay attention a little bit more because Jesus is talking right now. Now, all the scripture is, it's all inspired, but it's not all equally important. Are you guys tracking? It's all inspired, but not all equally important. So there's some things that are really, really important. And I submit to you that the, if you were in your final week of your life, I've been thinking about things like that. You know, you think about just, you know, how quickly Things can go from you, your, your health, your vitality. It makes you think about things. It makes you think about really what's most important. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was on a mission. He had from his father kind of a one-way ticket from heaven to earth to save the world. What's interesting is that as a result of what he did one way this way, he provides one way for us to get back to him. Say so that's good. 
Come on, somebody. Turn your neighbor and say, that's good. You get that? Did you get that one-way ticket down? Is it one-way ticket back? All right? And so uh, in this final week, because it's his final week, he's on a mission. Uh, I believe his focus, uh, and yours would too, it kind, of, uh, it kind of increased exponentially. And he began to share some secrets to this life that we need after. And he knew we would need after he was gone. And so in week one, we talked about there's many in, in, in the Gospels here in this final week of Jesus' life. The Gospel of John, half of it, the content is related to this final week. In the, in the first three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, one-third of the content in those Gospels is related to this final week. And we just pulled four messages. I'm not submitting to you. There are only four. Uh, we're actually going to do five messages, matter of fact. We've got a new one we'll be doing next week. Uh, but these particular messages are critical to our Christian life. And I think Jesus was laying a foundation there that when I'm gone, hey, Focus on these things. Remember these things. And so in week one, we talked about passion, about how to keep our passion. And I got to tell you something. It is so easy for our passion to wane. You ever heard of like the phrase, the disease of drift? You know what I mean? Like you, you get out there. I don't know about you, but I'm a, I love the beach. You know, I, I remember being in the beach this last summer and I was looking at the ocean, just staring at it and, you know, you know and, and I thought, you know, how can I make this a career? <laughs> you know what I mean? I just like, well, how can we turn this into a lifestyle? I, I just wanted to do this the rest of my life. But I'm watching these people and they're in that water and, and, and they're on those rafts, you know, and they're floating and just relaxing and chillaxing and all that. And within just minutes, you know, they've got to, they got to start paddling again. And if we don't continuously paddle, you know, we can drift. And so that's what passion's like. Amen? Passion's like that. You've got to keep paddling. And you can either you let it go for a long, long time, and then you're going to have to obtain before you can maintain what God gave you. It's harder to obtain, like getting back to where you were. Trust me, it's harder to get back to where you were. But if you can just kind of with, it's like the pumps, those, 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 uh, those wells, those old wells where they create that vacuum and, and you got to pump like the Dickens to get that water to come up over the lip. But once you get that water coming up over the lip, then it's just slow, easy strokes. Come on, say that. Slow, easy strokes. It's just summer, summer, summertime. It's easier if you can get to that place. And so I just want to encourage you to keep the passion. The question is, how do you do that? This is all bonus material, by the way. How do you keep the passion? Well, you've got to stay under the word. You know, how do, we, how do we change our actions? I gave you this last week. The progression is thought, word, deed. If you want to change the outcomes of your life, you have to change your thoughts. How do you change your thoughts? The word of God changes your thoughts. And so you need a daily devotional life. The things don't, success isn't in the day, it's in the daily. So what are you doing daily to change your thinking is doing something that is going to change your character, your habits, and so you got to be in daily devotions. You want to be under the word. You want to be fellowshipping with other believers because when you, when you congregate together with unbelievers, it can change the course and direction of your life. You want to be in a small group where you can kind of open up and work through some of the things that are going on in your life. I'm preaching up in here. I'm just going to, this is, this is, anyway. So you got to point your passion. And Jesus came into the church in this particular uh, text in John chapter 2, and he shook things up, and he pulled out a whip. What if I came out there with a whip? How would you guys feel? Welcome to Connect. The zeal of God has consumed me. That's what he was doing. He was prophesying something, you know, and he said, I'm fired up about my father's house, and apparently some of y'all have lost, lost, you know, your passion, and you've lost your focus, and you've misplaced your passions, because we all have passions. 
I love food. Everybody knows that. Deej loves it more than me. Everybody knows that because I make sure everybody knows that. You know what I'm saying? So we have misplaced passions. And so Jesus came to the house and he said, your passion should, it's okay to have that passion. I'm glad you love sushi and going to Monado and spending hundreds of dollars every single month blowing your budget, Deej. But, but, poor Deej. Uh, but you got to love me more. That you got to be, my house needs to be a house of prayer. Your house needs to be a house of prayer. You need to have me as your first priority. And, and he just shook the whole place up. And so that's kind of what last week was about. If you want to get that message, it's down in the, the lobby. And then next week, we're going to talk about kind of our, our silent partner, all right? The Holy Spirit, who is misunderstood, not next week, the week after. In two weeks, I'm going to do it on, 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 on the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to miss that. Uh, and I want to talk to you just kind of, you know, about some of the misconceptions and the, the misinformation that's out there, that the Holy Spirit is not an it. He, he's a person. And you can grieve him. And, and he, Jesus said, I have to go so that he will come. And, and he's actually going to exceed or his capacities are greater to actually be able to meet Exceed and meet the need of the people that are here on the earth. And he wants to come alongside you and be there for you as a counselor, a comforter, a friend, etc. Are you tracking with me? And then, and, and then like just before Easter, uh, we, we can never neglect what really sometimes overlooked or uh, it kind of gets out of sight, out of mind. And, and that is the importance of the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and today we'll, we'll actually celebrate that a little bit as we, as we participate in communion as a church today. By the way, the first Sunday of every month, we will participate in communion here in the main services. And so we've just started doing that this year. And so you can prepare your hearts and make yourselves ready for that each and every week. Sometimes we won't do a message related specifically to that. And so it's important for you to kind of get into the flow and, and be ready for that. Amen? But today, I kind of, I really want to talk to you about this this, this supper, we're going we're gonna to look back to a day earlier in the week, in this final week of Jesus' life, and, and it was dinner time, supper time, and, and he's having supper with his disciples, actually the night before he was going to die. And, and, um, and before I mention some of this last supper thing, I also want to tell you that uh, on Easter, by the way, here, can, can you guys get excited that in four weeks we're going we're gonna to celebrate our risen Savior? Can we, you know what I mean? It should be, it should be something that is, uh, you know, uh, that, we, that we are celebratory. It should be something that we rejoice in. And, and I, don't, I don't know, sometimes we, I, I think we lose sight of that as well, but we're going to have a service that's fit for a king. And if you, uh, first of all, don't miss it. Uh, we'll have three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30 that day. Uh, we are, next week, we're going to have tickets available. So we, we really need you to uh, make a decision, the services that you're going to uh, attend and uh, try to figure out what, you know, the guests and family and friends that you're inviting or that are coming into town or that are, uh, you know, somebody that you, you've, uh, you've been kind of connecting with. Uh, try to figure out which service is best for them and then attend that particular service. If you, if you, uh, uh, also, if you're a part of our family, really important that you kind of, we need an all hands on deck because we're expecting a lot of people on Easter Sunday, and I just encourage you to be ready for that. This is the best time, by the way, if, if, if you are proud of your church, in other words, if you have kind of um, an enthusiastic response to someone and says, you know, well, tell me about your church. If your response is in general enthusiastic, and I would say for most of you, uh, that would be a yes, otherwise you wouldn't be here then this is the best time to get a yes to an invitation to come to connect. Statistically, it's a fact. 
Uh, there's, there's no questions about it. And so uh, really important that you kind of just put it out there and just, let, and just give people that opportunity. And we have some creative ways to help you with that. But, uh, but people will respond on Easter. In fact, statistically, you may not realize this, but in the United States, this is a few years old, but 84% of the U.S. believes that Jesus died and rose again. I mean, and, but, 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 but hear me on this particular follow-up to that. There's a much lower percentage of people that have taken that conviction and converted it to life change. So there's a lot of people. I'm going to make an re- even stronger statement. In the book of James, the Bible says the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose again. Okay? So it's not enough to just believe. God is looking for people who will put their faith and, and their hope and their trust in him. And that is why, it's, that's why we must come to church and prepare our hearts and, and do ministry and, more importantly, encounter God. See, we need to marry our beliefs with a God encounter. People need not just to know something intellectually or, or through intellectual assent. People don't come to a, a, a place of fellowship through intellectual assent. People come to a place of fellowship because they have experiential truth. They have experiential uh, revelation. Are you tracking with me? And so people, because if you just have that belief without encounter, then I, I submit to you, and I've even experienced this in my own life, you come to a place of skepticism and doubt. And, and doubt can creep in, and, and, and it's couched a lot of times in reason and things like that. I, I heard a story about a girl who was in school, and she was asked by her teacher to do a report. All the students were asked to do a report and present, the, present this particular report. Kind of, uh, you, had to write, you had to write it out, but then you had to read it in front of the whole class, and you could do it on whatever you want. And this particular girl is a strong Christian girl, and she chose to do her report on the life of Jonah. And so this brave little Christian girl uh, told the story of Jonah publicly in front of her whole class. And, 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 and at the end of this particular presentation, unlike what everybody else experienced, the teacher publicly ridicules this little girl. And, and, she says, and after hearing this, she confronts her and she just says, that's ridiculous. I mean, everyone knows that a person uh, can't live in the belly of a whale. It's impossible. And so this little girl, she responds kind of boldly. She says, well, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to ask Jonah myself. <laughs> well, this little, this little girl said, you know, you know, as bold as she was, the teacher replies and says, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? The little girl replied and said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, I'm not recommending that as an evangelistic uh, approach. Okay, so let's keep our... Let's keep our heads when we're, when we're inviting people to connect, but it does make you think. The point is, we, we need to marry belief and encounter. Can I have an amen out there? Because people are trying to do all this, you know, just weighing the relevance of truth and belief just inside their little finite brains. And whether you think you have one or don't, you have finite little brains. And that's why we need community, and that's why we need communion. That's why we'll celebrate communion. We need to encounter him on a regular basis, and 
Hopefully today you can if you haven't already. So anyway, back to the Passover or this Last Supper. Jesus did what the Jews had done for centuries here at the Passover experience. And it was a reflection, by the way, upon what the Israelites had, had when they were enslaved by the Egyptians. And you may not realize this, but there's, a, there's kind of these old stories all throughout the Old Testament. People get all thrown by the Old Testament because they start looking through the lens of the Old Testament, sometimes trying to understand the New Testament. But really, you should start in the New Testament, and then you look at the Old Testament, and it makes everything kind of pop. Does that make sense? So here's the principle. This is what my daddy taught me. Old Testament contained, New Testament explained. Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed. Okay, all of a sudden you get it. So when you read your Bibles, you start in the New Testament, then you go back and go through the Old Testament, stuff will start to happen to make sense to you. And so the Passover is a kind of, um, it's talking about Israel enslaved in Egypt. It's kind of like the church in the world. There's this parallel between the two. Exodus 12 says in verse 26, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean, Passover, then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the house of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when we were struck down by the Egyptians. So Passover is really just that. It's when the angel passed over their homes. I don't know if you ever saw, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, with Charlton Heston, anybody. Moses. You know what I mean? When God's talking to Moses through the burning bush and, and you know, you see all the plagues and he goes before Pharaoh and there's this final plague where the angel of death comes in and passes over all the firstborn. But the firstborn that were spared were the ones that put the blood of the lamb over their doors, foreshadowing of the cross and God's life sacrifice for you and me. And the angel came in, ooh, it was really kind of scary and really kind of real looking. And then he just passed over their homes. That's what they're celebrating, that they, that they were, that they, they were, that the angel of, of death passed over them. This Passover supper in this uh, particular uh, text, Luke 22, that we're going to look at, it coincided with another feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I won't get into that fully today, but let's just say they, they kind of merged these two, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was really uh, all about the, the removal of sin, okay? Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was all about getting kind of sin out of your life. Yeast back then represented sin. It was symbolic to sin. And we talked a lot about this last week, about getting sin out of our life and hating what is evil and clinging to that which was good and, 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 and kind of firing ourselves up. And this New Testament text, I'm going to read from Luke 22. And well, this is where we'll celebrate communion today. Are you getting something out of this? Yeah. I'm talking fast. So hopefully you're taking a lot of notes. And I'm not on Red Bull. Okay, Luke 22, 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb, two and one here, had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat this Passover. Then you're going to skip down to verse 14 through 20. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. They reclined at the table. It was actually a luxury not to sit at a table. Kids would love this. If I was down at kids' church, they'd be like, Yeah, I'm going to tell my mom and dad we don't have to eat at the table. But that's what they did. They would just all lay down. They'd be just laying sideways. They'd have pillows. They'd be eating, you know, bread and olive oil. And that just kind of, it was, this was literally what was going on here. It was kind of a, a luxurious thing to do. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. They have no idea what's going on. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So this, this is a kind of a foreshadowing of his future. Not so much the past, uh, uh, but, it, but again, this is going over their heads, and, and, and he was coming to fulfill all these symbols and all these signs that are out there and he was, that he was going to do in the future. Then, he said, then it says, after taking the cup, everybody say the cup. 
This is a lot about this today. In this text, it mentions the cup twice, but actually, in the supper, there were four cups. And I'll get back to that. I never knew this until in recent years. It said, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. Uh, For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread. This is the meal part, the, 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 the matzah. The, you know, if some of you come from a Jewish background or ever you, went, you ever went to a, a, you know, a Jewish uh, uh, ceremony, uh, bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah or whatever, they, they're using matzah crackers there because there's no yeast in it. Uh, again, because it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body. This is my body. Everybody say, this is my body. I just want you to know this theologically. We are not believing, uh, unlike our Catholic brothers and some other, uh, uh, other denominations. Uh, we don't believe there's a metaphysical change where this, when we pray this and say this, that it literally becomes the physical body of Christ. That's actually what our Catholic brothers and sisters believe. We believe, yeah, and that's what they believe, in case you're wondering, we believe it's symbolic. Jesus wasn't saying, this is my body, watch it, there it goes, there it is, you know, there's my body. No, he's just saying, this is a symbol of my body. When you take this matzah or this bread and when you eat this, this is a symbol of my body broken for you. Are you tracking with me? And then, here, and then it says, here's the second time the cup shows up. This cup, then he takes a cup and says, this is a new covenant. So it's not the same as it was before. It's a new deal. A new covenant, you could say, another way of saying it is it's a better deal. So this cup is a better deal in my blood, which is poured out for you. What's the better deal? Well, you don't have to have a lot of sacrifices for your sin. You don't need, you don't need animals to be sacrificed over and over and over again. Now, my blood is the once and for all sacrifice. We call it the atonement. Is everybody tracking with me? You'll probably hear more about that next week, okay? This is poured out for you. Now, I grew up in a highly Jewish environment as a boy in Framingham. And I never knew what all this meant. And I'm going to do my best. I pray to God this is exciting to you and interesting to you to make sense. But I, I observed a lot of Jewish traditions when I was growing up. But it wasn't really until recent years that I really understood what was going on in this Passover Seder. The Passover Seder. Seder is, is the, it's the order of the supper. In other words, they had different things lined up. They had, the, they had the, the food all lined up. They had the wine all lined up a certain way. There was an order to it, a process that they would go through. It was a progressive dinner through these different cups. And they would have two cups of wine before dinner and two uh, different cups after dinner. You say, this is a good dinner. <laughs> All right, this is not that kind of service, okay? So some of you, you know, you probably like that kind of a meal. But throughout this progressive dinner, they would read this particular scripture from Exodus chapter 6, and then they'd also reference another one in the Psalms from Psalm 136. And this scripture would be written during this Seder Supper. And I'm going to read the scripture to you from Exodus chapter 6. And while they're going through this Seder Supper, they would have these confessions before they would drink the cup. First First, they drink one cup, have a confession, second cup, a confession, and so on. Is everybody tracking? Yes or no? Okay, so Exodus 6, verse 6, it says this. This is what they would read. This is what Jesus actually did with them in the Passover with them. In this, it was what we know as communion today was Passover then. Passover with Jesus then was the first communion. You heard the word first communion? This is my first communion. Well, this was the first communion. Are you tracking? Okay. All right, Exodus 6. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and and you're going to see these four I wills. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Remember that. I will. Then he says, I will deliver you from slavery to them. 
There's the second one. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And the fourth one is, I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now remember when you read something like that from Exodus 6, that it's something contained in that and concealed in that that is explained and revealed in the New Testament. Remember what I said earlier on that? Okay, so now we're going to start unpacking that. And again, for centuries, this little verse is used in this Jewish culture, and it's practiced over and over again, and it became a tradition and a liturgical thing, but it had so much more meaning to you and I today. And so the meaning of these four cups are revealed in this text. Let me give you their meaning as their name. This is what the Seder named these different cups. The first cup in your notes was the cup of sanctification, big word. Kind of means to, it means to be, it really means to be saved, set apart as holy and pure, to be saved from everything else. And the, the I will there is I will bring them out. I'm going to take you out from this occupation that you are under, this slavery that you are under, this sin that you are, consequence that you are under, because God never wanted you and I to be in some places. That's what this is symbolizing. That's what this is revealing to you and me. This relates to us today. Because some of us uh, are living in Egypt that God never intended for us to be in. He doesn't want you to be a citizen, citizen of this world. He wants you to be a citizen of heaven. And, and, and we even hear people say things like, you know, I'm in a bad place right now. This is why Jesus came. This is the, the first I will is I will bring them out. That's why God came. That's why there was a one-way ticket. You came from heaven to earth to what? Show the way. That's what he did. That's what this is all about right here. And, 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 and um, God came to save us from ourselves. And so the e Egypt that you see in this scripture is a type of world. Uh, the second cup is the cup of deliverance. Everybody say deliverance. That was a really bad rendition of that. This is uh, the, the I will deliver you. I will deliver you. This was, they called this the cup of deliverance. This one is very different from the first in the sense that first is not just about getting out of the place, but it's about getting the place out of us. It's not just getting out of Egypt or getting out of the world. It's now the cup of deliverance is about getting the world out of us or Egypt out of us. How many know you can get saved, but you can still struggle with some stuff? Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? I mean... Yeah, I know, I'm okay. I know the eternal part of my life is secure and, and, it's in, and, and I'm in a good place that way and I don't have fear about that. But, but man, I'm struggling in this life. I'm still, I'm still under the occupation even though I'm not in Egypt anymore. I'm acting like a slave still. I'm still enslaved by this or that. In Galatians, it talks about, you know, if you live by the Spirit, you won't gratify or satisfy the sinful desires of the flesh. But I keep doing that. Paul talked about this, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Romans 7. You know, why do I keep doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing? I keep doing them. I know I shouldn't, but I keep doing it. And he goes on through that pattern. This is what the second cup of deliverance is all about. Some of us uh, get out of the place, but we need to get kind of the place out of us. And, and, and Israel had 400 years of this slavery. They saved from, from that, but then they get out and, 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 they're, and they're in the wilderness and they're kind of going on this journey and they start complaining and whining and moaning and groaning and all the same behaviors start coming back and they start actually craving the world. They actually start craving going back. That's what happens to us. We forget what we have right here and we forget, we, we forget what God has done for us and, and Sunday's great, but Monday we go right back. 
We are still enslaved in some things. That's what's going on in the second cup. Here's the third cup. The third cup is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that kind of came after the meal. And Jesus got up when he, when, this was the second cup in Luke 22, but it's really the third cup in the Seder Supper. Sorry to confuse you. But this is after the meal. And he said, I will redeem you. Redeem means to buy back. It means to bring something back to its original intent, to restore to like the manufacturing settings. The creator created you to do this, but you've been sidetracked by this or that, and now we brought you back to where you were originally created, what you were created to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That means before you came to be, he created you to do something, the manufacturer, the creator, and he wants to restore you back to what you were called to do. You're tracking with me, guys, on this? This is good preaching right here, okay? And so he cleans you up, and he sends you back, and, and, and he, this is what he did in Moses' life. Again, an Old Testament example. Moses got all kind of sidetracked, and, 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 and he, gets, he, gets, he gets fired up, and he kills an Egyptian. And, and, and so now he's no longer walking like an Egyptian. I want to sing a song there real bad. And then he, but I won't, but I won't, I won't. Oh, Lord, help me. Uh, and, he, and he leaves, and he leaves, and he gets out there, and while he's out there, you know, he's going through this journey and this process where God is changing it from the inside. Why? Because what, was, what he did wrong and the way he did it was wrong, but it did reveal something about his purpose and the significant plan that God had for his life. He was just going about it the wrong way. And so out here, outside of Egypt, God got that all worked out, and then he sent him back to be a deliverer for God's people. Are you tracking me? This is what he's trying to do when he, he wants to redeem you. So he'll take, you think, well, I've done this and I've done that. And I've done some really bad stuff, PD. You don't know. God knows. He works all things together for good to them that love him and call according to his purpose. He will actually take that and leverage that and make it ministry for the kingdom and actually affect more people than you could possibly imagine. I am a living testimony of that. And there are people in this room that say, oh, you know, you don't know my marriage. You should have seen what it was like. My counselors are those people. Say, seriously? Maybe I, you should see them. No, nah, they got plenty of work. But then what, my point is, they were the same ones when I was counseling them. And by the way, somebody counseled me. When I was counseling them, saying, you know, someday you're going to help someday. Someday you're gonna, God's going to use this, and he's going he's gonna to use you to help other people through this. Oh, no, oh, no. Oh, yes, oh, yes. And oh, yes, is happening. Because he's a redeemer. He's a redeemer. And he restores that which is broken. And he brings it back to his original intent. If you will go through this process. Okay? Fourth cup. Fourth cup is the cup of praise. Everybody say praise. That's why we praise. Hey. All right. That was MC Hammer in case you're wondering. All right. I will be your God. I will be your God. There's at least four songs every message. I will be your God. I personally believe this last cup would happen uh, no matter what because after four cups of wine, everybody's praising. You know what I'm saying? Woo! You know, I love Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Give me a little bit more of that, baby. It's a whole different kind of church. Okay, we, anyway, but they call this the Hillel, okay? And praise in this, in this word means to celebrate clamorously or foolishly. Again, this would happen after four cups of wine anyway, but that's my suspicion. But this is what they would do. They, in this particular cup, when they got to this place in the Seder Supper, they would recite things that God did. 
In Psalm 136, if you read it, you, you can see it's kind of a different kind of a psalm. It's something God did, you know, I don't, you know whatever, you, you name it. You know, he set us free from the Egyptians, and they'd say his love endures forever. Or they would say he set us free from bondage, his love endures forever. They would say everything in response, it was just kind of like a testimony time. It was a testimony service, and, 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 this, is, and, and this is something that became liturgical, and it became traditional, and, and, but it was supposed to be, you know, hey, what did God do? Let's share that. Let's, let's give that away, you know, and then they would just respond to that. they say, isn't God good? Isn't God good? Man, his love just goes on and on and on, and we sing that song here as a church. His love goes on and on. You know that song we sing about? I've, and so that, it's like this, is, this was a testimony in the Seder Supper. It's just, they're just saying, isn't that just like God? And they'd sing songs of praise. In fact, this is what the disciples did, you know, uh, after, this, after this particular meal. You can look it up. This is called the cup of praise. Are you following me, yes or no? All right. This is so important what I'm getting ready to say, and hopefully you're, you're still with me. What does this mean to us? This is what I'm so fired up about today. I had to kind of lay that foundation. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, this is in your notes, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So in Luke, Jesus is saying plainly that he came to fulfill all this. In 1 Corinthians, he's saying, I am now this Passover lamb for you, okay? He's saying, communion with me, okay? I, I will. Here's the final I will. Jesus is saying, I will do all this. Every I will you see in Exodus 6, you could just say, you could just insert Jesus, you could just certain Jesus. For every one of those cups through the Seder Supper, Jesus says, I will this, I will this, I will this. I will set you free. I will redeem you. I will restore you. I will deliver you. I am your God. Are you tracking with me? Every one of those is Jesus now. It's not about Egypt, the Ten Commandments, or death angels. It's not about stories. He never intended for you to see these stories because... You know, and look at them and just say, wow, that's so cool. You know, Peter walked on the water. You know, oh, yeah, Elijah called fire up from heaven. Moses, woo, you know, part of the Red Sea. Ten Commandments, you know. Abraham's blessings are mine. Yeah. No, listen, it's not all about that. That's awesome. But can I tell you, your God always intended for those stories to be your stories. You know, and that, and that experience that you, you see there to be your experience. I didn't come to celebrate, you know, you know with you. Jesus has come in here and said, I didn't come to celebrate something that happened 2,000 years ago. I want this to happen for you now. I have come to be the Passover in your life. I have come, this is what Jesus is saying prophetically to you. I have come to be the Passover for you. These four cups weren't about the children of Egypt. These four cups are about you and me. Literally, these cups represent the progression, the process. These cups represent a progression or a process, or we like to say it connect a journey. You want to find out more about that? Literally, we dig into this even more. We, this, today is the why. Today, tonight, we talk about the what. How do we accomplish this process or this journey? How do we go from saved to redeemed and celebrating and rejoicing in our purpose in God. That's what we talk about every single first Sunday of the month. And I remember seeing this for the first time in the Old Testament and what God intended to do for us and the New Testament kind of popping and this rhema kind of came. It was just blowing me away because he wants to take us on this journey. And so here, here's this journey in more detail. The first thing God wants to do with you or for you is God will bring me out. God will bring me out. Again, insert Jesus here. You can join a church, by the way, uh, and, and, and you can do church, and you can still be in Egypt, by the way. 
And let me, you know how I know? Because I did it. Because I did it. I was the best faker, poser. I lived the double life, the, church, the double life church thing. I'm the PK, pastor's kid, notorious PK growing up. I, I, I've been in more church revivals than you know what to do with. I slept through a bunch of them. Jesus is in the house, and they're singing this and singing that, and people are doing cartwheels in the hallways, and, and all kinds of stuff's going on, and I'm like snoring away, okay? I, I, I know how to do church, too, by the way. I know how to create a response. I know how to look the part. I know how to make it appear a certain way. I know where all the old people had the candy. <laughs> I did. I knew where to find the snacks in the closets. I knew, I knew how, how the places to hide where nobody would find me and then come back. Oh, yeah, church was awesome. I knew all of those things, all right? And so what I'm saying is you can go to church and you can not know God. And I was good at church, but I didn't know God and the motions didn't save me. And I just would go, I would just leave here on Sunday and I would go right back to Egypt on Monday. And some of you are doing the same thing. There's a pastoral pause. I was empty in my heart. I, I, could, I could dance, I could sing, I could pray, I could quote scripture. But some of you got to get out of Egypt. You know? I got some important news for you today. The Bible says before you can come to his table, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. it says a man first ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. It's really important you examine yourself before you're examined. Look into your life and make sure you're ready. Otherwise, you heap judgment on yourself. If, in other words, if you're in Egypt, then you need to decide today to come out before you take the meal. Come out of Egypt. Have you given your heart over to Christ? Have you really, in a word, sanctification is preceded by surrender? I'm not going to drive this car anymore. I'm not going to put Jesus in the back seat anymore in my rearview mirror. I'm, I'm surrendering my life to Christ today. Which also says, I don't want him just to save me. But I also want to make him Lord. I also want him to direct and to guide me. So you have to come out of Egypt. Because if you don't, you'll be influenced again by Egypt. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, in your notes, and also verse 17 and 18, it says, Do not be yoked together. Or in the King James, it says, Unequally yoked with unbelievers. Or with Egypt, you could say. Don't get, in essence, without getting too teachy on this, don't get out of balance in your relationships with unbelievers. Or I like to say pre-believers. I believe they want it. They just don't know how to get it. Nobody's telling them about it and nobody's living it, so they want what you have. But I believe, so, so what happens is we're not being a strong influence on the world and it is on us. And so don't be yoked. Don't be tied down. Don't be in out of balance relationships, unequally yoked. It's an adverb that's modifying a verb, okay? And so it's talking about like a seesaw. You're out of balance in your relationship. Don't get like that. You gotta, get, you gotta have your relationship strengthened. By the Lord and by godly people. For what do righteous and wickedness have in common? Answer, nothing. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. That doesn't mean go live in a, you know, a compound or, or on a mountaintop and be a monk. It's saying come out in your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. For out of it are the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. You have to separate in your heart. But if you find your heart being pulled in the wrong direction and your passions being misdirected, then you might have to separate physically for a while. Until you can be a strong influence on them than they are on you, or it then is on it is on you. Are you tracking with me? Okay, there's some things I just won't walk back into again. It's just dumb, whether I'm just came off a of fast or not. 
And so, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. So to drink the first cup, that's when you kind of give your heart to Christ. We call it saved, salvation. To be saved, you need to acknowledge you're drowning. To be saved, you have to acknowledge you're drowning. Nobody gets saved that doesn't realize they're drowning. Oh, I got so many things I could say about that right now. But, but you, you must commit to come out of Egypt. And, and, and most of us in this room got out, but many here are still acting like slaves, though. In other words, sin still calls the shots in your life, and you know it. You got bad attitudes. You have lust. You have different things that are just bogging you down. And, and we are Christians, but we're, we're getting our tail kicked sometimes by the devil. And so this next point, we're stuck in this next cup. And I want to emphasize this. The, the, the second cup is about getting you free, not just saving you. Whom, whom Christ sets free, the Bible says, is free indeed, okay? So Christ didn't come just to get you out of Egypt. He also came to get Egypt out of you. He, is, he desperately came to set you completely free. Number two is God will set me free. This is the cup of deliverance. And again, we talked about Romans 7 on this, but Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. If you feel condemned, listen, that's not, that's not us. That, that might just be your own heart, but it might be conviction. Don't misinterpret condemnation or, di- or, or, di- or be- differentiate the two. Con- conviction becomes condemnation when we don't do anything about it, left unattended. Are you tracking with me? So Christ came to set you free. Some of you are saved, but you have to deal with your sin. You got to get, get serious about it. And the best way to do this is not in a crowd. I, I'm not going to confess my sins in front of 200 plus people here. I don't care how transparent I am. You ain't going to know that part about me. But get around a few people, close friends, where there's some, where there's some uh, relationship and equity between us. Yeah. So some of you, how, how will you get free? You might need to work that out in the context of something small, a smaller community. We call that what here? A small group. Okay? So don't go back. Don't go back. It is for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again. Everybody say again. By a yoke of slavery. I'm just telling you, God wants you free. And if you will follow this Seder Supper, not just as an event, but as a, uh, a Christian uh, progression, a process, and as a journey, you can see all that God has for you. Number three, God will set me apart. This, this refers, again, to the cup of redemption. This cup, Jesus refer, references after supper and, and, and at this meal time. This is my favorite one, but when we take communion, this is the big one. This is the ultimate goal. It's, just, just, it's not just about getting you out, setting you free, but it's about showing you your purpose. And I think when people can get to a certain place in their walk with God, saved, set free, at least in a measure, God wants to reveal to you your purpose, and your purpose helps you maintain what you've obtained. It'll help you protect what God's purpose has been put in place in you. You're not really living until you find your purpose. You were not created to suck air, take up space, just working for the weekends. God had so much more for you to do that had significance. And I submit to you, every single one of you, if you get alone all by yourself and separate from my words, separate from other people's words, just get around God's word, something in you wants to make a difference. Something in you wants to know that your life matters. And you may not be in that place right now. I would su- su- submit to you that might be a little bit numb or callous. But when you come into a little bit of crisis and you come under a little bit of trial and you come in a little bit of fire, there's something underneath that that says, I don't want my life to pass to the, from this to the next and not know that it didn't matter. 
People want to know their life mattered, and that's what God's trying to help us do. In Ephesians 4, it says that he's joined us together, and, and it's in the process of the body actually coming together that we all find out what our special assignment is, our special work. Look it up, Ephesians 4, 16. That's where he does that. Are you tracking with me? He doesn't want you to be bored. If you're bored, it's because you are not going through this process. Woo, I'm telling you what, I don't know what's happened to me this morning. They won Wheaties. Uh, because people are like, oh, just, it, Christianity's not just about not sinning. You know what I mean? It's just, well, how you doing? Well, I didn't sin. You know? That's good. Well, excellent. Is, I mean, is that what life's all about? Just, oh, we might made it to heaven. You know what I mean? Some people think Christians are just people who want to sin who can't. My son was working at a country club not too long ago, and, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's a chip off the old block. And he's, and he's around, and all these girls are talking to him and saying, you know, can you, you know, and he's like, it had to come out because they're, they're propositioning him to go to this and do that and whatever. And he's like, you, can you do this? Can you do that? The, the initial questions about his Christian faith were what he can and cannot do. He says, I can do all that. I just don't want to. I don't need to. I'm satisfied and fulfilled in this. I don't need that. But it's interesting that that's the, that's the preconceived idea or that's the notion that people have about Christianity. It's just, we want to do it, we just can't. Because they see so many Christians that are bored and lifeless and not living on purpose. So many are stuck in the second cup. First Peter 2.9 says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. This is what he says of you, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of what? darkness into his wonderful light. This is the best time in, in history to be a light because the world is so dark. It's an opportunity. I think there's a young generation that, that gets this better than my generation and, and, and even older that wants to make a difference. We look at the teens and we say, ah, God's done with them. They're a mess. They're so off track. If, they, if, they can, if we can help them figure out their purpose, they'll do more for the kingdom than any other group of people in history. The last cup is a cup of celebration, and I have got to finish this message. Celebration, what is this all about? It's just saying, all right, I get it. Yes. Like, I see now what you were up to. This Seder that we're going through is a journey. This, this, this liturgical thing, oh, I, now I get it. Jesus is fulfilling all this, and he wants to do this in me? I, I get, yes, yeah. And so number four is God will be good to me. It refers to a cup of praise. And you've never gotten all that Jesus has for you until you have all four cups because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost or in the Holy Spirit. I dream of a church that's here, that's on fire, that's passionate, that's pointing their passions in the right direction where people's lives have been changed. They testify about it on a regular basis. My wife and I were, were in bed the other day. The... the, uh, the um, the team can get up here on the stage and, and, all, and all the ushers and stuff can get communion ready. Listen to me, though, while they're doing that. Don't be distracted. My wife and I are in bed the other day, and we, we were just marveling at different things that God has done. The, by the way, this is under attack, amidst attack. I don't want to say under it because we're over our circumstances in Jesus' name. And so we were, we were basically just talking about like a timeline. How many attempts the devil has made, and this is literal, literally on our lives, our marriages, our children, our ministry, our relationships. We were going through one by one. It started with this, this little story like, honey, remember if this, if this went this way, what if I told the, the Burns, you know, go home, you know, there's a bad storm, sorry, you don't want to come out to this little rinky-dink church out here in Boston, blah, blah, blah. And then, boom, 
You know, it could have gone, it could have gone a whole different direction. Instead, they blew the socks off our church. We've got like some spiritual parents that we can really follow. Our relationship's exploding. Stacy and, and, and we're all talking all the time. We see future ministry coming. What, and that, that little decision, and we started going down that path and all these moments, these divine moments, these defining moments when you can go this way or you can go that way by choices you made and your will being influenced by the word. Because I can remember one after, after the other, these examples. And we went through line by line. And we were just praising God and just praising God. And we were just testifying. And we were just saying, you know, and we'd say something and God is so good. Isn't that like our God? It's, it's, this is what was happening in the Seder Supper. His love endures forever. He tried to destroy our marriage. His love endures forever. He tried to take, you know, my health. His love endures forever. He tried to destroy our church at one point. His love endures forever. He tried to destroy this relationship with some key people in my life. His love endures forever. He failed. He failed. He failed. But God's love never fails. We just kept going through that. That's what this cup of praise is like. And some people are here, and you're in the fourth cup. I just talked to a, a woman last week, and she's going through some trials and difficulties. She says, Pastor, there's not a week that goes by where I don't get up in the morning, and I cannot wait to get to connect. Do you know how much this church has changed my life? And she started testifying about that stuff. She's going on and on about how much it's changed her life. Just yesterday, I'm talking to a girl who, she might even be here in one of these services. She'll be here probably in the second one. And she's saying, Pastor, I, 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 I was never the same but when I was at Connect. And I live far away, but I'm going to get on a train and I'm going to be at Connect because my family's there, because I was born again there, because I gave my heart there, because everything changed when I was there. She's drinking from the fourth cup. God wants you to go through this whole thing. Are you tracking with me, everybody? Would you do, your, do me a favor and stand to your feet? I want to challenge you, if I haven't already. <laughs> I want to challenge you to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's say that. I'm going to say something. You, re, you say his love endures forever at the end of it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And it doesn't just have to be the two people I was talking about. It can be you today. And as we, as we begin to partake of the elements today, with every head bowed just for a minute while they're setting that up and every eye closed, can you do that for me? What place are you at today? What place are you at? Where are you at in the journey? Where are you at in the supper time, the Seder? Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you haven't been taken out of the world yet. You haven't surrendered. I encourage you to do that. Right there in your seat, and you just say, Jesus, come into my life. I surrender my life to you today. I don't want to follow me anymore. I want to follow you. You do that right there in your seat. And then just tell somebody. Put that on a connection card before you go out and put that in the back because we want to we wanna help you on that journey, give you very specific instructions so you know what to do. But you can do that right in your seat. Some of you have been here enough times, you know what to do. Just do it. Surrender to God. Maybe you're here today and you're just not free. You need to overcome sin and, 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 and you got the salvation package, the fire insurance, but you keep going back to Egypt. And today you've decided, I'm not going back to Egypt anymore. I'm not going back to that bondage. I'm not going back to that slavery again, that yoke of bondage again. I mean it. I encourage you to examine yourself and make that decision. Decision of faith. It takes faith. You don't, you don't have to be perfect. We all fail. We all fall. We all stumble in many ways. There's no one that can say I'm without sin. But you can make determination, I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't want to live that way anymore. God wants you out of Egypt. And if you want to be included in this commitment prayer as I pray for you and then you come... Uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper, just raise your hand and say, I want to be included in this prayer. Pray for me. I want to be free. I want to be free. Come on, raise your hand good and high. The devil's bold. He want to take you out. The least you can do is raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to be free. 
God bless you. Put your hand down. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that these people literally experience Passover this morning. That God will come over their life. As they take the elements today, which are a symbol, a memorial, but yet by his spirit, there is a dynamic, there is a dynamic that takes place where literally the spirit of Jesus is present in this meal, in the wine. I pray, God, that as they partake of the Lord's Supper, as we sing about the cross, that you literally sweep them over, God. You pass over them. You pass over them. There's no more death. There's no more bondage. There's no more disease. There's no more, there's no more that can take them from your hand. God, you are, you, are, you, are, you are enveloping them. You are embracing them. You are having common union with them as they worship you. I pray in Jesus' name to be a pronounced anointing on this experience. You can come. The ushers will guide you and lead you. Take all the male elements back to your seat. And at any point during the song, you take those elements.